0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. We have a great entertaining show for you as you head into the holiday weekend. Trumpeter John Eric Kelso and guitarist Matt Munisteri are going to play and talk about the music they make in their band, The Ear Regulars. That's E-A-R, regulars. They perform jazz, mostly from the 20s through the 40s, and they have a new live album. They spoke with Fresh Air producer Sam Brigger. Here's Sam.
2: Sunday nights I find myself feeling jealous of New Yorkers. That's because every Sunday night at a small old bar in the West Village called the Ear Inn, you can hear some really amazing music. Vibrant and vital jazz, even though some of the repertoire is 100 years old. The band The Irregulars was founded by our guests John Eric Kelso and Matt Munisteri and is led by Kelso. The band is usually a four-piece combo with friends sitting in. They set up in the corner of the Ear Inn and pass the hat at the set break which is kind of remarkable considering that these are some of the best jazz musicians around. I first heard the Irregulars on YouTube, where their weekly concerts have been pretty well documented, and I used to visit those videos during the pandemic when I needed a pick-me-up, because when you listen to this band, you can't help but smile. The Irregulars have just put out their first live album. It's called Live at the Ear Inn, and with the sound of the bar crowd in the background, you can close your eyes and almost believe you're there. John Eric Kelso and Matt Munisteri founded the Irregulars in 2007, but that band is just one of the many credits to their names. They've both recorded albums under their own names and with their own bands and appear on countless artists' albums. They are first-call session musicians whenever someone is recording any sort of traditional jazz and other genres of music. They were kind enough to bring their instruments today for our conversation. But before we get to that, let's hear a track from their new album, This is I Double Dare You, first recorded by Woody Herman in 1937. (laughs) ¶¶ That's the song I Double Dare You from The Irregulars' new album Live at the Ear Inn. Our guests are the founding members of the band, John Eric Kelso and Matt Munisteri. Welcome to Fresh Air. Thank
3: Thank you. (laughs) So
2: why did you guys want to do a live album? The last album you did was recorded in a studio.
3: Well, I've wanted to do a live album really since we started the gig there, but I've always been a little... Concern that it might be too loud in there at times to do a live album, but mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's you can hear a pin drop, and sometimes uh, you know we have some people that go there just because it's a bar and they act like people in a bar. That's that's my little mantra I tell myself if I start to get upset about it being noisy, start <laughs> getting
4: particularly dark. Yeah. But
3: uh but yeah, we've been thinking about it for 16 years, and we finally got around to it.
4: It also, I think that room sounds really good.
3: It sure does, yeah. And we
4: thought that when we used to play there late nights, you know, and there would be no one in the place, and it was just the room sounds good. It's it's wood and a lot of knickknacks and, I guess, beer soaked floorboards.
3: And <laughs> that's good
2: for acoustics? Beer <laughs> soaked floors?
3: Be. Apparently, yeah. Also, just the idea of doing a live album with this band it was appealing because. Of the energy that we generate there, as far as the spontaneity in this group, it's it's hard to recreate that in a studio setting. Mm. You know, you, you kind of can, but it's not the same as just you know the actual s- bouncing off of each other as we do <laughs> at the ear.
2: Well, I'd like to ask you to do a song. Um, you said that you would do no one else but you, which is. On the It's the third track of the album. Um, what can you tell us about the song before you place it?
3: Uh, it was originally played by Louis Armstrong, and it's written by Don Redman, uh, who was a well-known arranger and bandleader and composer in those early days. And uh, later on, it was played by uh, one of our heroes, Ruby Braff, and another hero, George Barnes, on guitar. With their, They had a great uh, quartet. And uh, we kind of borrow from, mostly from their version of it, as far as just the, the format.
2: Okay, well, we're going to hear No One Else But You, with my guest, guitarist Matt Munisteri and trumpeter John Eric Kelso. And they also play this on their new album, Live at the Ear Inn, with their band, The Irregulars. So let's
4: hear it. One, two, one, two, three. <laughs>
2: Thank you. That was great. That was a song no one else but you uh, from John Eric Kelso on trumpet and Matt Munisteri on guitar. That's on their album uh, with their band The Irregulars. The new album is called Live at the Ear Inn. Um When I was listening to that, there was a point in the song where, John, you were doing this like descending line, and Matt, you played chords that sort of descended along with them. Did you know he was going to do that, or did you just
4: hear it in the moment and follow along. Yes, I knew I wish this is, this is, I feel like this is asking a magician how he does his (laughs) tricks. We don't really have very many arrangements, but this is, it's sort of the melody of the tune. And it's also taken, as John said, uh, largely on, on that arrangement. We were really borrowing from our two heroes, Ruby Braff and George Barnes's version. Right. So let me ask
2: you about Ruby Braff and, and George Barnes. Um, I think, John, you knew Ruby Braff, right?
3: Yes, yeah. I got to know him. It was a pretty amazing thing for me. I was one of my heroes.
2: Is there anything in particular that that you might have talked to him about, that he taught you about, how he played the trumpet that's um, influenced the way
3: you play? Well, he didn't really... He wasn't trying to teach me anything specifically about how to play the trumpet, Mm -hmm. and... uh, you know, he he would sit down at the piano. He was actually a pretty decent piano player for a for a cornet player, and uh, he would he would say, "Hey, do you know this song?" and, and start to play something. And I'd say, uh, "No." And He says, "Good. I'm going to teach it to you right now." So he would he would show me songs and he would show me chords that uh, he figured out from some of the masters like Teddy Wilson. He said, "I finally figured out what Teddy Wilson is doing on the bridge to Sweet Lorraine," and he'd he'd show it to me. So. He taught me in those kind of ways, and uh, mostly we were just hung out, and I listened to him tell his great anecdotes, and, you know, just a lot of fun.
2: Well, although you're admitting that the piece you just did has some arrangements, I mean, one of the amazing things about the arrangements on the new album is they're, they're really not arrangements. Like, you guys are playing together. The horns are doing collective improvisation. Um, in the sort of style, I guess, that was originated in New Orleans. And, um, and I just wanted to hear some of that from the album. I was thinking that we could play part of the song, I'm Coming, Virginia. And um, we're going to cut in a little bit to the track. Matt, you start playing rhythm. And then one of the irregular Scott Robinson, comes in with something, first of all, that sounds like a clarinet, but it's not, right? He likes to play a lot of sort of odder instruments. What is that instrument
3: he's playing? It's called a taragato, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it absolutely perfectly, but it's a Hungarian folk instrument, basically, used primarily in in Hungarian folk music. And uh, I like to think of it as kind of like a wooden soprano sax, like a kinder, gentler soprano sax, at least in Scott's hands it is. It's it's kind of uh, scary in most people's hands because it's not a factory-made kind of precise instrument. It's like you have to know a guy up on the hill to get one that you know <laughs>
4: Yeah. <laughs> and you know there actually is a real connection to traditional jazz history and the terragato. And John, you might have to correct me on this, but was Scott's first terragato one that he got from Joe Morene? That's was he... right. Yeah, that's what I thought. So Joe Morene was a Hungarian American clarinetist who played with Louis Armstrong's All Stars in the 1950s 60s. He 60s? was in his last okay version of the okay. all-stars yeah. yeah and we all knew marini also and scott and he were close and i think he turned um scott onto the terrogato and he's since had several made in hungary
3: including a t- contrabass terrogato which is maybe the large. O- <laughs> it's maybe the only one in existence as far as we know huh, let's hope <laughs> let's hope <laughs> yes no 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 right. we kid
4: well
2: let's hear this um we're gonna hear uh John Eric Kelso come in on the melody, and weaving around him, doing an improvisation, will be on trombone John Alred, and on the terrogato Scott Robinson. And the bass player on this is Neil Miner. is the song I'm Coming Virginia from the band The Irregulars and I'm speaking with the two founding members of the group John Eric Kelso who plays trumpet and Matt Munisteri on guitar. More after a break, this is Fresh Air.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month.
0: This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. TeleDoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight. TeleDoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com/slash-what's-your-why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health/slash-what's-your-why.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they'll match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or store for details.
2: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with jazz musicians John Eric Kelso, who plays trumpet, and Matt Munisteri, who plays guitar. They have a new album with their band, The Irregulars. It's called Live at the Ear Inn. You can find the band every Sunday night at the very old West Village bar, The Ear Inn. Matt, when we were sort of trading emails talking about doing this interview, you wrote something that I wanted to talk about. You said, the tradition of collective improvisation is central to the Irregulars and the role of the trumpet is decisive in any successful performance in the style. John is a master of shepherding the structure and feel of each performance through his musical cues. Some of this language is well established tradition, but some is derived from John's personal vocabulary. Can you talk a little bit about what those cues are, like how that works on the on the stage?
4: I started playing with John in ninety-six, I think. Occasionally we would play in, in the same bands. And then I started having John on some of my own gigs when I was leading again in the 90s. And I'll just say one thing that happens sometimes with John is even if there's another leader, John will expect that like people are going to follow the trumpet. So I wasn't familiar when we started playing together with sort of the trumpet's role in traditional jazz and how the trumpet really determines the structure of a tune. And I was like, no, I'm determining the structure because I'm the <laughs> singer and I'm telling you what's going to happen on stage. And he'd be like, no. And sometimes there'd be train wrecks that would happen in this other band that we played, and John would get really mad and just be like, listen to the trumpet. And, and I was like, well, dude, you're not telling us what to do. But, you know, the truth is, he's right. Like, once you understand that it is a language and that the trumpet is actually, if it's played correctly in this style of music, it's giving all the information that you need to be able to follow along. Um, I know his vocabulary and his repertoire very well. If I'm listening to the radio and John's even, like, in a band somewhere in the mix, I can pick out his sound. Mm. Like any soloist that I love, any jazz musician that I love, if I'm listening to a record and suddenly that soloist comes on, it's like a good friend just walked into the room. Mm. And so I feel like that's what I meant by the combination of stuff that's, like, very traditional and established Mm. and then your own really sort of unique sense of play and your own cues that we all know.
2: Well, John, can you give an example of a cue that you might give to the other horn players?
3: Yeah, one of the ways I describe it to people when they they ask about this stuff is I say that by default, often the trumpet player in certain styles of jazz bands is like the traffic cop or like the quarterback. I like the traffic cop analogy in that, in, <laughs> in that the trumpet kind of directs the order of the solos sometimes, Mm -hmm. or he will cue how how many ensemble choruses are in the beginning or in the middle or at the end. He's often the one that will initiate improvised background figures or riffs, and you have to do it in a way that the others, first of all, know that you're trying to get their attention, and then play something clear that they can latch onto, and that lends itself to either harmonization or whatever it is you're going for. And also with the endings, often uh, the trumpet will kind of lead which type of ending, whether there's mm-hmm. a tag at the end or whether there's a retard where it slows down uh, and there's a hold or, you know, that kind of thing. And with and also with the dynamics as well, whether you're going to play a loud one and then a soft one and then a medium one, you know, sometimes you'll do do things like that and hope that people are... <laughs> Paying attention so that you're all on the same page. You're playing a lot of music
2: from the 20s and 30s. This is called usually traditional jazz, but sometimes I, I think the word traditional gives the wrong impression. It's going to be like a museum piece. Um, but you're not playing staid or boring music as listeners can hear, like this is really vibrant and exciting. But you're also, uh, it sounds to me like you're being respectful of the era that the music comes from. Can you just talk a little bit about finding that balance?
3: Uh, sure. I think the way we've come to a sort of a, a style of our own at the ear-in is a mixture of a respect for the, the style and knowledge of the, the earlier styles of uh, New Orleans jazz, for lack of a better term for it. And, yeah,
4: the terminology is tricky. Yeah.
3: and it's, Certain words upset people, but, you know... Anyway, so we, we come from this place of knowledge of the earlier styles of jazz and then we also are open-minded and uh, kind of find our happy medium with whoever is in the quartet mm. du jour there. Because that changes
2: and, the dynamics and how you play. Yeah, oh, depending, on,
3: depending on who the other guys are. It may lean a little bit more towards swing, may lean a little bit more towards New Orleans, may be a little bebop And uh, some versions of the quartet are more adventurous as far as it can kind of go almost anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know. And I don't try to rein anybody in as far as stylistically there.
4: It's also, like you said, really dependent on the individual voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Each of the players, the horn players on that CD, Scott Robinson and and Evan Christopher and Jay Ratman and, of course, John Allred on trombone, are all like fully formed, (laughs) strong musical personalities, you Mm -hmm. know, who've likewise digested a great deal of music. And so things happen, Mm -hmm. you know, when all those personalities come together and everyone's being honest and had a drink maybe or two. (laughs) It is a bar. It is a bar after all, yeah. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair.
2: My guests are the founding members of the traditional jazz band, The Irregulars. John Eric Kelso, and Matt Munisteri, who play trumpet and guitar respectively. They play Sunday nights at the New York bar in the West Village called the Ear Inn, hence the band's name. Don't let the word traditional fool you into believing that this is some sort of nostalgia act. Although the songs they play are old, a lot of them from the 20s and 30s, their performances are as exciting and lively as anything out there. They have a new album. It's called Live at the Ear Inn, They brought their instruments to the studio. Let's hear a song they played for us that's not on the new album. It's called Tisha Mingo Blues, written by Spencer Williams in 1917. That was great. That was the Tishomingo Blues, um, played by trumpeter, John Eric Kelso, and Matt Munisteri on guitar. Um, they're here because they have a, a new CD with their band, The Irregulars, that's called Live at the Ear Inn. That was really wonderful. Thank you for playing that. I think it's perhaps time to talk about Mutes, um, sure. hearing that song. Um, don't
4: reach for that dial, everybody.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Mutes? What? So, uh, you want to say the mute button on the yeah. on our trumpet? Oh. Next, Trump. we're going
4: to be talking about minds.
2: <laughs> trumpet players <laughs> like to accessorize, isn't that right, John? You you have all sorts of things you stick at the end of your trumpet.
3: Oh yes, yes. This is this is a a, a fetish for trumpet players, and for me, it started pretty much right when I started playing trumpet at age ten. I, I was listening to my parents old 78 RPM records from the swing era, and uh, immediately it caught my ear, uh, guys like Cootie Williams with uh, the Duke Ellington band and with the Benny Goodman uh, small bands, uh, that he was using a plunger and you know making these kind of growling sounds and wah-wah sounds, and that, that thrilled me to no end. Like and an it, actual
2: plunger, like a toilet plunger, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. We like to call them sink plungers mostly, you know. (laughs) Mostly the trumpet uses the smaller.
2: I'm hoping they're not used whether they're sink or toilet
3: plungers. Nah, nah, yeah. Maybe I'll I'll demonstrate uh, the little Pixie Mute by itself and with the plunger and without the Pixie Mute just so you understand what that. Yeah, that'd be great. Would that be good? Okay. All right. So uh, this is uh, playing with just the Pixie Mute. Okay, so now this is with the pixie mute and the sink plunger.
6: <laughs>
3: so you get the idea of how uh, how you get some different tonal yeah. sounds yeah. that way. Oh, and and the plunger without the
6: pixie. <laughs>
3: That's really cool. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, thanks for yeah, doing uh, that.
6: Sure.
2: So I wanted to talk a little bit about um how each of you got started. John, I'd like to start with you. You grew up in Detroit, right? Wh- what was what was your family like? What was your house like there?
3: Ah, uh, well, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, yes, uh called Allen Park. And uh I had a brother and a sister and my mom and dad. My my dad had played trumpet when he was young. Mm. And uh it was interesting cuz I didn't know that until after I told him that I wanted to play the trumpet hmm. and he said, "Oh, really? You want to play the trumpet? Let me see if I can find mine," you know. So he dug out his horn and he was he was my first teacher and uh he sounded kind of like Harry James who was his big idol and uh and around the same time at age 10 I was finding my parents old records, these 78 rpm records from the swing era and so I I got interested in in that style of music at a very young age and uh had a a buddy that lived near me who was doing the same thing and we actually formed a big band when we were mm. still in elementary school uh, on our own we put together a big band with ringers from the junior high band <laughs> <laughs> and would you gig uh we played at you know the the school concerts and uh-huh. we played at the we did some things like at the PTA meetings and stuff like that <laughs>
2: And was there a point where you you sort of realized like oh I'm I'm actually pretty good at this maybe better than some of my peers and and uh, maybe I want to make a run at being a musician?
3: I I think in a way yes I mean I always was driven I I just wanted to be really good like I couldn't stand not sounding good so I practiced mm-hmm. incessantly when I was young I was just uh, you know the 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 band teacher in elementary school would have us fill out this little chart of how many minutes we practiced each day and mm-hmm. then we and then our parents would have to initial it and bring it in and i would bring mine in and <laughs> he he actually called my mother and he said John Eric is making things up. He's lying. <laughs> he's saying he's saying he practiced 240 minutes on Saturday. <laughs> no, no, that's right. That's yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they had to tell me to stop practicing cuz it was getting late. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when did you start gigging at what how old were you?
3: Uh my first paying gig I was 12 actually. Wow. And then my first steady gig uh for two summers and when i was in junior high and uh also the summer before going into high school i i had a steady gig playing at Greenfield Village in Dearborn Michigan hmm. part of the Henry Ford Museum uh with that same buddy of mine Mike Carub and we we had a little trad band trad jazz band playing outside there 6 days a week 5 hours a day so that wow. was a that was a, a good chance to learn some songs and get some chops.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then when did you decide to, when did you decide to move to New York? Uh,
3: 1989, I was 25 years old and I, uh, got called by Vince Giordano and Vince of the Nighthawks. And, uh, he, he was looking for somebody to join the band and he had me come, flew me out to New York and I played with the group for a week. And, uh, Oddly, the same month, I had a call from a band called the Dukes of Dixieland in New Orleans. Mm. And they flew me down there for a week. And all this happened in one month in 1989. (laughs) I got offered both gigs. And uh, those were my two favorite cities in the world that I had (laughs) been to. So it was a pretty exciting time for me. And and I I went with the New York option and have never regretted it.
2: And so when you moved to New York, were you playing because you're playing trad jazz were you playing with a lot of musicians who were older than you who who came from a different generation like were you the young kid
3: exactly yeah and same with my early years in Detroit especially when I was playing the older style of jazz uh, you know I was playing with some people that were quite a bit older than me with a lot lots of experience and I was lucky to have some great mentors that and uh, and also just grouchy older players who would <laughs> yell at me and, and tell me to, you know, stop playing too many notes or whatever, <laughs> whatever it was I was doing wrong. So I I got the tough love and, and, and I was happy to get it.
2: Let's take a short break here. If you're just joining us, our guests are trumpeter John Eric Kelso and guitarist Matt Munisteri. They have a new album out with their band, The Irregulars. It's called John Eric Kelso and The Irregulars Live at the Ear Inn.
0: How do you sleep at night? Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep at night. Mattress Firm's sleep experts receive 200-plus hours of training annually to help you get your best rest. Upgrade your sleep with a tempur mattress made with a -a one-of-a-kind, infinitely adaptable temper material for exceptional support to help alleviate aches and pains. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day Sale and sleep at night.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Official Hacks Podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to the Official Hacks Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey, it's Terry Gross. Since you're listening to the Fresh Air Podcast, I hope that means you like what we do here. You probably already know that your financial support is what makes our work possible, as well as the news and podcasts you listen to across the NPR network. Even though our show is available to you for free, it's not free to produce. If you already donate to public media, thank you. But if you're listening and are thinking about becoming a supporter, now is a great time to start. Giving Tuesday is almost here. It's an international day of giving you have options. With Fresh Air Plus, your donation gets you sponsor-free shows and exclusive bonus episodes. You can also make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station, to the NPR network, or all of the above. I hope you'll consider joining the community of listeners who make this work possible. We can't do it without you, and your support makes sure everyone can listen. You can give today at donate.npr.org slash fresh air or subscribe to NPR Plus at plus.npr.org. Thank you.
2: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with jazz musicians John Eric Kelso, who plays trumpet, and Matt Munisteri, who plays guitar. They have a new album with their band, The Irregulars. It's called Live at the Ear Inn. You can find the band every Sunday night at the very old West Village bar, The Ear Inn. Matt, what about you? You grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, what was your family like? Were they musical?
4: Yeah, my dad was a big music lover, and both my mother and my brother sort of extre- were extremely gifted uh, at music. But uh, there was music all over the place, um, either you know being played on the record player or Sunday dinners were usually over at my grandparents. Um, and I had an aunt that played piano and accordion, and my grandmother played piano, and my dad and grandfather sang, and uh, there were other cousins and aunts and uncles. I had a great uncle who uh, played, you know, just Sicilian songs on Mm -hmm. an old guitar, and I inherited that guitar when I was 12. It was an old Gibson 1948 L7. And uh, so, yeah, I was around music all the time, and... um, sort of always knew that I wanted to play.
2: Hmm. And I think that you, originally you you went down quite a dark path by playing bluegrass banjo, is that correct?
4: <laughs> uh, yes, I traipsed down that path. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure what instrument I wanted to play. I was playing basically anything that came my way in elementary school, which is just, you know, they, this was New York City public schools used to have band programs and music programs and uh, I think that that's probably not like it not like it used to be Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so yeah I I was eager to play any instrument but when I was in uh, fourth grade I think Dueling Banjos was suddenly a top ten hit and I had a little AM transistor radio that I'd listen to you know the pop music of the day and um, suddenly that tune was like I mean That phenomenon of a tune just being on the radio like 10 to 20 times a day, (laughs) you know, it set my hair on fire. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, So I started begging my parents to find me a banjo teacher, and they finally did. Um, So, yeah, that was my path for a while. And then I started playing guitar in a summer camp um, in fifth grade. I I remembered, you know, my Uncle John playing guitar and singing the Sicilian songs when I was a kid. My great aunt was always saying, if you get good at guitar, I'll give you your Uncle John's guitar. And I'll just never forget, like, the smell of that guitar, the look, you know. It had just been sitting in its case since he died. So I practiced the guitar like crazy after that, and she gave it to me for my next birthday. And, yeah, like what John said, you just, as a kid, just disappear into your room and practice as many hours as you possibly can because it's the greatest thing in the world. Um, It's always amazing to me that people, like, have to be forced to practice you know <laughs> for me it was always like there were other things everyone always wanted me to do other things but i was like oh i'd rather just kind of practice um
2: was there a point when you were like I'm, I'm gonna give this a go and and try to be a musician full-time
4: i never thought that i would make a living at it it was always just where my head was i always heard music in my head constantly mm-hmm. constantly constantly Mm -hmm. So no, I never thought I'd make a living at it, and uh, I didn't start even going out and trying to sit in with people until I was way old, like twenty-seven. I didn't, you Mm -hmm. know. I mean, I'd been playing all the time, but I not 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 jazz at all, nothing connected to jazz. So, um, how'd that go? How did that those first? few times oh i too. got i got kicked off a bandstand i mean you it's did? actually like yeah. I, yo <laughs> of course i got kicked because i thought that like jazz was like i'd learned how to play like bob will stuff and western swing from you know russ Barenberg and richard lieberson and yeah jazz musicians told me to. i got told to sit down and get off of bandstands mm. plenty of times um and then i played this is the truth i play i sat in at a jam session and I played a solo on a blues, and everyone in the place went crazy. And so I took another course and people kept on being like, yeah, yeah. And I kept playing chorus after chorus. And after that, my phone started ringing, and I just started hmm. like working. Um, but when I got off the stage uh, and I was listening from the audience, I realized they'd been in the key of B-flat, and I'd played course after course after course in E. I couldn't <laughs> hear the bass. He was on the other side of the stage. And that sort of made my career. Like, John, did I ever tell you that? Like, the phone started ringing after that. <laughs> I was so hip. you <laughs> so ah. we were playing
2: out of key, but it sounded hip to everyone.
4: Well, I don't know. It sounded hip
3: to Everything everyone. was a tritone substitution. Everything. That's, that's, yeah, that's,
2: yeah, let's not wow, get too probably... nerdy. It was
4: enough. a disaster. It was <laughs> terrible. It was awful.
2: Well, Matt, you solo, obviously, in these shows, but your main... Your main job is playing rhythm. There's a bass player, but there's no piano. There's no drums. Um, And so you're holding down the rhythm chair. And along with your guitar playing, you also sing, Um, not on this album, but on the one before this, which is called In the Land of Beginning Again. Uh, You sing on a song, uh, Sposen, which I've heard versions of that by Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby and Fats Waller. Uh, Why don't we hear your version of the song? Um, This is from the Irregulars album, In the Land of Beginning Again. This is Matt Munisteri singing on the song Sposen.
4: Sposen that I fell in love with you Do you think that you could love me too Supposing that I held you and caress you Would it impress you or merely distress you
6: Supposing that I said for you I yearn
4: Would you think I'm speaking out of turn And supposing I declare it Would you take my love and share it Oh, I'm not supposing I'm in love with you
2: That's the song Sposen, played by The Irregulars and sung by one of my guests, Matt Munisteri, who is also a guitarist. And the other guest is John Eric Kelso, who plays trumpet. And they have a band together called The Irregulars that has a new album called Live at the Ear Inn. Why don't we take a short break here? We'll be back in a second. This is Fresh Air.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor Redfin.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: On the TED Radio Hour, researcher Sasha Lucioni says AI can help us find climate solutions. But just training the technology
5: itself uses a ton of energy. Training, GPT, for instance, emits as much carbon as five cars in their lifetime. Tech's Climate
1: Conundrum. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.
2: You both have done and do a lot of session work. Can you talk about what that's like in the
4: life of a musician? Uh, I came into town very early this morning for a session. Um, It's... Trying to fit in, I mean, uh, you know, you're trying to fit into a situation where you're going to make uh, the entire ensemble sound good. What I used to do a lot was then try to play sort of like in the background. And nowadays when I play on, you know, if it's even like a jingle or a, um, someone's date or something, I try to actually bring a lot of personality to it, musical personality. Um So you're trying to, you know, make someone's work with someone else's vision. Um, And we both work as, you know, when when you say session, it's like we work as side people with a lot of different people in different bands in different contexts. Um, So you're trying to do something that's going to help someone's vision. And at the same time, you're actually trying to step up and be a, um, you know, be a recognizable voice somehow in the ensemble. What about you, John? What
2: about your experience as a sideman or session musician?
3: Being a sideman and a, and a session musician for me is, has been a real uh, challenge, but a, a fun one. Like uh, There are some some bands I play with and some situations I'm, I'm in where it's in a recording studio for a soundtrack or something where they have a very specific idea of what what they want to hear, and it isn't necessarily... Uh, just that they want to hear me doing it the way I would do it. You know, sometimes it's like we need we need somebody to sound like Miles Davis, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh one of my first jingles, I think it actually was my first jingle in New York. Uh Howard Alden got me on this session and it was, you know, something like therapeutic mineral ice or something. And uh, <laughs> and they <laughs> they They said they wanted this track to sound like miles Davis's um all Blues, mm-hmm. and so they kind of came up with a tune that was reminiscent of that you know without actually playing that song and uh and you know, as a teenager, miles was one of the guys that I studied pretty hard i I don't only listen to early earlier players i like I like listening to all kinds of stuff. So I had, I had spent a good amount of time, you know, trying to copy him and learn from him. So I guess I did a good job uh because the they stopped they stopped things at one point and you could see they're all having like a huddle in the in the booth and they they said, "Uh John, can you sound a little less like Miles Davis?" <laughs> and I I I took that as a high compliment. I thought, "All right. Well, okay, I guess I guess I I did what I was trying to do there. It sounded, you know, enough like him that they were worried that they were going to get in trouble or something, you know. But uh, so yeah, sometimes the gig is to is to copy somebody or, or give a, a of your version of some specific person or a, or a very specific style, and you know, and sometimes it's it is they just want you to bring your your uh, flavor to the to the mix, you know.
2: Well, I wanted to end with a a really beautiful song that you guys did on your last album, which is In the Land of Beginning Again. This is a song called Smoke Rings, which I think was originally done by the Mills Brothers. Is that right?
3: I think it actually went back to the Casa Loma band, Glenn Gray.
2: Okay. Um, You want to say anything else about this
4: tune? I actually heard it first. um, Oh, my God. What's the name of the great Canadian... Country jazz singer, whatever. I guess the answer, Sam, is do we want to say anything else? No, <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Well, we'll let yes, them... <laughs> but I don't know what it is. I do, but I can't.
4: We'll let
2: the music speak for itself. Um, <laughs> John Eric Calso and Matt Munisteri, thank you so much for coming in today. It was a real treat.
3: Thank you, Sam.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: John Eric Kelso and Matt Munisteri are the founding members of the traditional jazz band, The Irregulars. Their new album is called Live at the Ear Inn. They spoke with Fresh Air producer Sam Brigger. Kelso and Munisteri joined us from the studios of WNYC in New York. Our thanks to recording engineer Irene Trudell. Tomorrow on the Thanksgiving episode of Fresh Air, we feature an interview and performance by jazz pianist and composer Jason Moran. His recent album, From the Dance Hall to the Battlefield, is a tribute to James Reese Europe, who led the Harlem Hellfighters Regiment Band in World War One. I. I hope you'll join us. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Salat, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Simon, Anne-Marie Bordenado, Teresa Madden, Thea Chaloner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorrock directs the show. Our co-host is Tanya Mosley. I'm Terry Gross. All of us at Fresh Air wish you a happy Thanksgiving.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast.
0: This message comes from Schwab. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in with Schwab Investing Themes, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. Choose from over 40 customizable themes. More at schwab.com.